So very good to see you this morning. I love you, and I appreciate you so much. As with any Sunday, I suppose, there's always lots kind of going on in the world, maybe lots going on in your life, going on in your heart and in your mind. Uh, I think about this morning in particular and all the, the sorts of different things that we're remembering today, all the things that we're celebrating today. One, of course, first and foremost, it's Sunday, and every Sunday we gather together and we celebrate and remember, we remember what Jesus did for us, the horrors of the cross, the evils of our sin, and the celebration that Jesus has given himself for us and has set us free, has liberated us from sin and death. But today is also Juneteenth, and so we remember the evils of slavery and we celebrate the good news of its end. Today is also Father's Day, and so we remember and celebrate fathers. And so if you're a father, happy Father's Day to you. And as we, as we have been doing for several years now, we do a sermon series from Mother's Day to Father's Day. And so today we're wrapping up this current sermon series, Unstoppable Families. We've been talking about fostering the kind of spirit in our homes where we persevere, where we keep going, where we don't throw in the towel, where we don't give up no matter what happens. And one of the things that we have to persevere through is insults and injury, people hurting us emotionally and physically. And as a dad, and again today being Father's Day, I think about my role as a father, and I think about my boys, and I think about teaching them and encouraging them to persevere, to persevere as Christians, to persevere in the spirit when people insult them and injure them. And as I, I think about that, I, I think about the fact that I have to, I have to parent with my eyes on Jesus. I have to be very careful to parent with my eyes on Jesus. And what I mean by that is my flesh says one thing and, my, and the Spirit of God says another thing. My flesh says to my boys, or my flesh wants to say to my boys, if someone hurts you, hurt them back. If someone insults you, insult them back. If someone slaps you, Slap them back. That's what my flesh says. But here's what Jesus says. Word for word, here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. See, it's really hard, isn't it? It's really hard. And I'm just confessing and laying it out for you this morning as a dad as a dad, as a father of two boys, trying to prepare them for life and helping them to realize that people will insult you and will injure you, people will hate you, people will despise you, sometimes, sometimes for all kinds of reasons, sometimes because you're a follower of Jesus, but here's what our rabbi, our teacher, our master, our Lord, our king says for you to do, boys, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. So, so that's what we have to do 
as Christian families, we have to foster that sort of spirit in our homes to persevere through insult and injury this way, to persevere through insult and injury as followers of Jesus, to persevere through insult and injury manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. This is, this is our task. It's not enough. It's not enough for us to teach our kids to do what's right. We also have to teach them to love the people who do what's wrong. Right? We not only have to teach our young people to do what's right, we also have to teach them to love the people who do what's wrong. We have to put before them and encourage them to be people like Stephen. We, we talked about Stephen already this year. Stephen was a man who was executed for following Jesus, Acts chapter 7. Was executed for following Jesus. Was stoned to death because he preached the good news about Jesus. And, and in the middle of being executed for following Jesus and teaching others about Jesus... He prayed for his executioners, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. That's the kind of perseverance, that's the kind of spirit of perseverance that we want to foster in our homes, isn't it? Young people and old people, ourselves and our spouse and our kids and our grandkids and our nieces and nephews, encouraging them to not only keep doing what's right, but also love the people who do what's wrong. I, I heard a story this week about a man named Dirk Willems. Dirk Willems was a man who lived in the 1500s in Holland. And in Holland, he was arrested, 1569, for being a rebaptizer, the word we use is anabaptist. It means a rebaptizer. In other words, he rejected his infant baptism that was sanctioned by the state, and he studied the Bible and realized that he needed to profess his, his own faith in Jesus and be baptized. And the state called him a rebaptizer, and they arrested him because he was doing this and teaching others to be baptized. And so they arrested him and put him in prison. And he actually tied rags together and lowered himself out of a window and escaped from prison. But as he was escaping from prison, he was running and it was winter time. The ground was frozen and the, the, there was a thin layer of ice on the water and he was running across the, the water. But a guard actually saw him and was chasing him across the frozen water. But it wasn't very thick. And the guard behind him cracked and fell through the ice. And Dirk had a choice to make. He could keep running and secure his freedom, or he heard the cries of the guard who was chasing him, who was going to put him back in prison. He could turn around and help the guard. And that's exactly what he chose to do. He turned around and went back and helped the guard out of the ice. Now, the guard himself wanted to let Dirk go, but it didn't happen. They took him back to prison, and he was actually burned at the stake for being baptized into Christ. Or I think about a person like one of my personal heroes, Marshall Keeble, who was an evangelist that they say baptized 40,000 people in his lifetime. I just, my mind is boggled at that number. 40,000 people 
in his lifetime. But of course, he had to deal with all kinds of insults and injuries, all kinds of prejudice and bias and racism. In fact, they say one time when he was preaching, some members of the Klan came and were sitting on the front row, I assume to try to intimidate Brother Keeble, but he just kept on preaching the gospel. And one of those men came forward and was baptized into Christ. See, that's what I'm talking about. This is, this is what the gospel calls us to do. This is who Jesus calls us to be. This is the sort of spirit that we want to foster in our homes, isn't it? A spirit of perseverance. A spirit that says, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to throw in the towel. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep doing what's right. And not only am I going to do what's right, I'm even going to love the people who do what's wrong. I'm going to love the people who hate me. I'm going to love the people who persecute me. I'm going to turn the other cheek. I'm going to go the extra mile. This is what I want to teach my family. This is what I want to teach myself. This is what I want us to foster this kind of spirit. Jesus wants us to foster this kind of spirit in our homes. But how? How? It's, it's really easy to parent by the flesh, isn't it? It's really easy to just say, well, it's simple, kids. If somebody hurts you, hurt them back. If somebody insults you, insult them back. It's really easy to parent in the flesh. It's really hard to parent in the spirit or to grandparent in the spirit, or to be a spouse in the spirit, or whatever your role in the family, it's hard to walk in the spirit, especially when you're enduring insult and injury. So how do we encourage our families to keep walking by the spirit when they're insulted and injured by others? That's the question, isn't it? How? How do we encourage our families to keep walking by the Spirit. And we'll know we're walking by the Spirit when, when we can see love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control even when we're insulted and injured by others. How do we encourage our families? How do we encourage ourselves how do we encourage our spouse? How do we encourage our children and our grandchildren and our nieces and nephews to persevere, to persevere in the spirit when you're insulted and injured by others? As we've been doing every week in this series, we're looking at different psalms because these psalms, they give us the thoughts to think, the songs to sing, the, the prayers to pray that can help us to persevere in moments like these. So I want to look at Psalm 43, which is probably a continuation of Psalm 42, which we looked at earlier in this series. But read with me in Psalm 43 and verse 1. The psalmist says, Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me. Let's talk about those words, vindicate and defend. To vindicate is, he's asking, judge me. Judge me. And that's a, that's a scary thing to say, isn't it? But he knows, I, I'm doing what's right here. And the people that are out to get me, they're, they're out to get me in an unjust way. What they're, what they're saying about me, what they're doing to me, it's unjust. 
And so I'm asking you, be my judge. Judge me, vindicate me, show that I'm in the right and I'm not in the wrong here. Defend me. Be my, be my attorney. You see, throughout this psalm, th this is what we have to teach ourselves to do and what we have to teach our children to do. Teach them to take it to the Lord. To take these, these insults and these injuries, this harm and this hurt to the Lord and say, vindicate me, judge me, defend me, come to my defense, argue my case for me. And then look at the words he uses, ungodly people, deceitful and unjust men. Ungodly people is like a, a whole group of people, a whole nation of people who don't worship God or fear God or love God. This group of people that are out to get you. This deceitful person, this unjust person, those who perpetrate injustice. Now, again, as we've asked every single week throughout this series, why these songs? Why these prayers? Why, why would Israel teach each generation to pray these prayers, to sing these songs, to remember these lines, to quote this poetry? Why? Because every generation would have to deal with injustice. Every generation would have to deal with the unjust person. Every generation would have to deal with the ungodly nation. And when you deal with it, here's how you deal with it. You take it to the Lord and you say, Lord, it's up to you to vindicate me. Only you can vindicate me and show that I'm in the right. Only you can defend my cause, can argue my case. I'm bringing it to you so that you can be my advocate so that you can be my defense attorney, so that you can be my judge, and you can set everything right because nobody else is setting things right. So we have to, we have to prepare ourselves and prepare one another so we're not taken by surprise when people are ungodly, when people are unjust, when people aren't fair, when people are deceitful, these kinds of things will happen. And we don't say, oh, well, it's okay, it's not a big deal. No, it is a big deal. And we take it to the Lord. Verse 2, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Have you noticed that throughout these psalms, the question tends to be, in lament, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? Why don't you defend me? Why have you rejected me? When, when we're oppressed, when we're suffering injustice, when people insult us and injure us, it can feel this way, can't it? But again, as we've said every week, just because we feel a certain way and just because we are articulating our feelings and saying, this is how I feel. I feel like you've rejected me. I feel like you've turned your back on me. I feel like you're not listening to me. Where are you, God? It doesn't mean that that's reality. It doesn't mean that God really has rejected you or forsaken you or turned his back on you. 
And deep down inside, the psalmist knows that. That's what the psalm is all about, isn't it? Because you wouldn't pray to God, you wouldn't ask him, vindicate me, defend me, unless you knew he really hasn't rejected you. But when, when your enemy is bigger than you are, when your enemy is stronger than you are, when your enemy seems like they're winning, then it seems like God is on their side. In fact, throughout history, people have judged the rightness or the wrongness of their behavior based on whether or not they're strong, based on whether or not they're winning. The idea of might makes right is something that is deeply ingrained in our flesh. And if I'm winning and I'm stronger, I must be in the right. And the psalmist says, I know better than that. These people that are hurting me, these people that are insulting me, these people that are out to get me, they seem stronger than me. They're oppressing me. It seems like you've turned your back on me, but I know I'm in the right. I know that you're on my side, that I'm on your side. I know that you're my defender. I know that you are my vindicator. I know that you are my refuge. You are my savior. And I'm going to trust you in this moment, in this moment when it seems like my enemy is stronger than me. And it seems like my enemy is bigger than me. And it seems like my enemy has more influence than me. I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to trust that their might and their strength and their power will come to an end. Verse 3, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. This, this is the prayer, isn't it? These are the words of, here's one of the most important Bible words there is, but so often misunderstood, hope, hope. And I really wish, I wish there were multiple words here because the way we use hope is so different than the way the biblical authors use hope. When we talk about hope, it's usually wishful thinking, right? Like, I hope that happens. I don't know. Maybe it will. But when the biblical authors talk about hope, it means confident expectation. I know, I know that this will happen. In spite of my present circumstances, I know that you will deliver me. I know that you will defend me. I know that you will vindicate me. The way it is right now, it hurts. It stinks. I don't like this. This is painful. But someday, someday your light and your truth are going to bring me into your presence. It reminds me so much of what Jesus said. Do you remember he said, you believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, you may be also. Jesus is going to bring you into the presence of God, and there is dwelling place there for you. And church, that's what I need to remember when people insult me, when people injure me, when it seems like people are out to get me, 
It's what I need to remember when I know I've done what is right, but other people are doing what is wrong to me. That's what you need to remember when you're insulted and injured. That's what our children need to remember, is that Jesus is the one who's going to bring us into the presence of God. I've read to the end of the book, and probably so have you. And guess what? Spoiler alert. We win. Amen? We win. We win. It may not seem like that in the moment when your enemy seems bigger than you and it seems like people are out to get you and it seems like you can't get ahead and it seems like people are always putting you down. God's people win. Jesus' people win. This is what hope is all about. Look at verse 5. He asks, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. See, this, this right here, this is how we teach our families. This is how we teach ourselves to persevere in the spirit when we endure insult and injury. Hope. 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 Hope is how we endure. Hope is how we persevere. Hope is how we love people even when they do what's wrong. Hope is how we love people even when they do what's wrong to us. Hope. We know how the story ends. I don't know how today ends, but I know how the last day ends. I know that we win. And if we keep that knowledge at the forefront of our mind, then we can persevere even through the worst times. When we, when we experience these things and then we articulate these things and we take these things to the Lord and we take to God our hurt and we take to God our insults and we take to God our injuries. But I want to say this, three things. Learning to pray this prayer. Learning to pray this prayer. And I think that we need to learn to pray this prayer and prayers like this. But learning to pray this prayer does not mean adopting a mindset that everyone is out to get us. And I think that's really important to remember. It's important for us to know, what do I do when people are legitimately out to get me? When people are legitimately persecuting me, when people are legitimately insulting me and injuring me without cause, it's important for us to know what to pray and what to think and how to navigate those moments. But we also have to remember that's not always the case. People aren't always out to get us. But number two, it does not mean that our response to insult and injury is limited to prayer alone. This is our, this is our primary course of action. But it doesn't mean it's our only course of action. In the book of Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 17, God's people are told, learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. James says that pure and undefiled religion is to keep yourself unstained from the world and care for the widows and the orphans in their affliction. This is pure and undefiled religion before God. So yes, pray these prayers, but also do good. Do good. Do good to everyone. And number three, it does mean Learning to pray this prayer does mean learning to trust 
that God will vindicate and defend and bring his people into his presence. This is how we respond to insult and injury with the love of Christ. We have this knowledge. We know this deep down inside of us. We know this better than we know our own name. I don't know, maybe my name isn't really Wes McAdams. I don't know, maybe somebody lied to me about that. Maybe my birth certificate is wrong. I don't know, but this I know for sure. More than I know myself, I know that God will vindicate, defend, and bring his people into his presence. We have to know this deep down inside of ourselves this has to be core to everything we are and everything we do. And when we have this hope, then, then we can respond to insult and injury with the love of Christ. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 12. Romans 12, starting in verse 19. Beloved, never, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We, we can only respond this way when we have hope, when we know that God will defend and God will vindicate, God will avenge, God does not need our help with vengeance. Let me say it one more time. God does not need our help with vengeance. He doesn't. And I know what we're thinking. We're thinking, but they're going to get away with it. No, they won't. No, they won't. God will either bring that person to faith and repentance or God will bring that person to judgment. He doesn't need your help with vengeance. He does not need my help with vengeance. Here's what he needs you to do. Obey him. Amen? Obey him. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If your enemy is thirsty, Give him something to drink. Paul says, this is how we participate in the judgment of God. This is how we heap burning coals on our enemy's head. Feed them when they're hungry. Give them something to drink when they're thirsty. God does not need your help with vengeance. He's got it covered. He's got it covered. And isn't that a load off of our minds? To know God's going to set everything right. I know everything hasn't been set right yet. And God's not asking you to be okay with that. He's asking you to trust him with that. I know everything isn't right yet, but one day it will be. And he's asking you to trust him. Trust him with all of the insult and all of the injuries that come your way and just do good. Do good. Do good to your friends. Do good to your family, do good to your neighbors, even do good to the people who are out to get you. 
But the only way we can do this is to have this confident expectation deep down in our bones only when we have hope. Only when we have hope can we respond to insult and injury with the love of Christ. So this is what I want to do for for Wes. Because Wes not only has a hard time parenting in the Spirit, parenting with my eyes on Jesus, and not parenting in the flesh, not only do I have a hard time with that, I have a hard time just walking in the Spirit and not by the flesh. Walking with my eyes fixed on Jesus. Because my flesh says, get even. My flesh says, get back at them. My flesh says, when they hurt you, hurt them. My flesh says, when they insult you, insult them. But Jesus says, let us, let the Father and the Son and the Spirit handle the vengeance. You focus on doing what is good and what is loving and what is right. Not only do I have a hard time doing that, I need to incorporate this into the way that I parent and the way that I conduct myself in marriage where we're holding up this truth before our families, where we're instilling this kind of hope in our homes to articulate and to admit and to acknowledge that things are not the way that they're supposed to be. Things are not okay. Things are not all set right, but they will be. God's going to set everything right. And we have to teach our families to trust God with that. Because only when we hope can we respond to insult and injury with the love of Christ. See, that's one of the things we do when we come here, isn't it? That's one of the reasons we gather together. That's one of the reasons we we bring our kids here and we bring our grandkids here and our nieces and nephews here. That's why we come here together as a family because we're saying, sitting at the feet of Jesus, Jesus, teach me to hope. Teach me that everything's going to be okay. Teach me that vengeance belongs to the Lord. Teach me to walk in the Spirit. And so we gather here every week and then throughout the week, we, we call each other and we text each other and we encourage each other and we get together with each other. And we share meals with each other because we desperately need hope. We lose sight of what's going to be because we're too focused on what is. We have to have this hope if we're going to respond to insult and injury with the love of Christ. And maybe you're struggling with that this morning. Maybe you're struggling to have hope. Maybe you're struggling to see past the present and see to the future. But that's what we're here for. We're here to build each other up, to spur one another on towards love and good deeds, to encourage you, to help you to have hope deep down inside of you. So if we can help you to grab hold of that hope, our shepherds would love to pray with you or you can come forward now as together we stand and sing this song.